This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Haley Stoddart. I am Zach Moore. And I'm Ken Tripp. And this week, we are pleased to welcome two guests to the Enterprise, all the way from DS9, Mr. Bill Smith and Mr. Dan Davidson from the Trek Geeks podcast. Welcome, guys. Thank you. It's such a joy to be here. I always love to uh, to be on one of the podcasts that help inspired me to become a podcaster. So uh, thanks so much. Yeah, it's really an honor to be here, guys. It's been a long time coming. I'm very excited about the uh, uh, being able to talk about what we're going to be talking about today. So thanks so much for having us both on with you. Well, welcome aboard, guys. I'm excited uh, for this conversation that we are going to have. We're going to take a look at some of the godlike beings and how religion was portrayed in TOS. And uh, we're going to have a little surprise for you, listeners. So you're going to need to stay tuned uh, for Trek Geeks tomorrow when that drops because we're going to compare this to Bill and Dan's favorite show, DS9, and how that was portrayed on there. What do you guys think about this topic? Yeah, I'm really excited about this as well. I mean, we've seen, we see, we have several examples in TOS about these godlike beings and the alien on the planet of the week type of thing. And then it kind of went away for a little while, and then it really came right in the forefront in Deep Space Nine with religion. So being able to look at what it was like back in the 60s with TOS and then fast forward uh, to the 90s with Deep Space Nine and seeing how it's evolved, I think is going to be really interesting. So I'm very excited about this discussion. I don't know, you guys talk about all these gods. I find the one quite adequate. So <laughs> Very nice. Well very done. Nice. Well done. <laughs> what about you, Ken? I'm ready. I, uh, I, I've been looking forward to this for a long, long time. I'll tell you, we, um, we've, we've been trying to get together with, with these guys, and, and I know it was a lot of fun seeing you guys in, in New York. And trying to come up with the right topic that was a struggle i mean we were we were contemplating a lot of things and i think this one in particular is is sharp and if you look at even what's happening recently on discovery uh you know it's getting very star trek again and uh, not that it ever left but i mean really deep star trek it's um it's really exciting and so these these are the type of topics i think that can you know they can spur a lot of emotion at times uh, they get people to think differently 
And I, I can't wait to dive into this. I, I'm, I'm glad because we are talking about the, the, my two favorite series as well. And so, hey, let's, let's, let's kick this thing and get moving. Well, I'll uh, pause it to you guys. So I threw up a, a bunch of notes. I, I did a lot of research on this, um, this crazy idea that came to me, I don't even know, middle of the night, one of those things. Is there anything that stands out as far as TOS that really struck you guys as an episode or a particular uh, quote-unquote godlike being that really stood out to anybody? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in first, Haley, on that. One of the ones that has always uh, really s- stuck out to me is Aaron of Mercy. Um, when we see the Organians in this episode, it's not just a, a an episode where the godlike beings have ramifications for Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise, but these beings cause the entire Federation and Klingon Empire to be forced into signing a treaty. Um, they're able to project themselves all across the galaxy to the Klingon Empire and Federation headquarters when they're having their discussion on why they find what's going on so disgusting. And this one, I think, has always struck me as the one that really had the most, I don't think consequences is the right word, but it really had godlike implications in what took place in this episode. That's the one that stuck, sticks out to me. You know, that's a good call, Dan, because they usually for... Star Trek, especially the original series, is like, okay, it's one episode, ran to this one guy, we outsmarted him and defeated him and moved on to the next mission. We never talk about him ever again. And the Organians are actually one of the few, uh, as you said, uh, beings that have uh, galactic repercussions, one, and two, continuity repercussions, because they actually reference Hmm. this episode, Urn of Mercy in the Organian Patriot several times on the original series, and and that's actually a, a good through line. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I guess for, if we're going to talk about one that had, like, the most, uh, the greatest reach and impact, I would have to say them, you know, if we're just looking at the TOS era, that is. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I mean, it's, plus, it's the one that sets the tone, you know, for, for things to come with the Klingons and, and the Federation. You know, here we are in the brink of war with this episode simply because of the actions of Kirk and Kor and the Organians, you know, come in and say, whoa, whoa, take a step back, y'all, because um, that's not happening today. And by the way, that's not happening ever because we're coming back if you do. And and I think that uh, I think that that sets forth an interesting problem for the writers as far as Star Trek goes because not only could we not have really disagreements among the regular bridge crew, but now we can't really go to war without the Klingons without possibly the Organians coming back and and sending us to our rooms, you know. And at some point, they, that, uh, there must be a comic book or a novel somewhere that explains where they went. <laughs> Between the original <laughs> series and the movies, just just saying. So. I'm sure there's one out there. Uh, we should ask Justin. <laughs> we should ask Justin, <laughs> oh, sir. Let us know. Ken, is there uh, anything that kind of stood out to you? You know, it was funny because when you when you when you talked about um, the Organians, I was thinking the Metrons because I just saw a lot of similarities in the mm. two, both evolved beings and um, and but but two very different angles on things. Right? Uh, we're not going to speak to you. We're not going to reach out to you because you haven't evolved yet enough but you're getting there and the Organians actually forced their will on the entire galaxy you know i mean it's uh it's amazing so you have two very similar species two very different approaches uh one waiting for you to get to a point where you know we can sit at the same table and actually discuss things and the other one saying you know what uh no free will for you guys or what you're doing is wrong we don't like that and so we're, we're just going to implement this and this is the way it's going to be. And, and, you know, it's interesting, right? Because there's a peace treaty 
and and to me it's always like well, well why <laughs> you know you can't fight <laughs> so it's uh it, it is interesting but two godlike beings two very different approaches uh you know one kind of sitting back and watching one actually getting involved and you know that i think both are, are great in terms of, of metaphors for religion on earth you know where there's there's free will and then there's times where where god quote unquote gets involved so it's um I, I just like the way these two come together. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. The Metrons kind of are a little bit similar to the Organians. Another one that's kind of somewhat in this category, at least as far as I think so, would be the Thasians from uh, Charlie X. Because they're non-corporeal, but they almost have that supernatural galactic size power to be able to do a lot of different things. Um Yes, we find them on their kind of bi-planet, but, you know, I mean, they could be anywhere too, right? And and it's a little scary. We're going to take this kid and save him, and then we're going to give him all these really crazy powers. Then we're going to take him back because apparently no one else can handle him but us. So, yeah, what do you guys think about that? Are they Do we see similarities in those three? Yeah, I think on, on a micro level, they are because, I mean, they're just enforcing their will on this one poor kid. And then taken away, and, and it really it's a, that's a really sad ending of one of the original series. It's not one of the ones we're all laughing around on the bridge making a joke about Spock or something. It's like, oh, that's oh, that that that's dark, and they just kind of zoom out, and because this being just came in, it took this kid. He's like, I don't want to go, but it's like, we don't care. You're coming with us, and we never hear from poor Charlie or the Thasians again. So they don't uh, exert their will on a in a macro galactic level, but a micro personal level, which is which is more more creepy because we know we know poor Charlie X and. And he just, he just got dealt a bad hand by these guys. You know, they gave him these power and didn't know what to do with it. That's it. He really did get dealt a bad hand. You bring up a great point there because, you know, and they kind of repeat this trope in a slightly different way in uh, Squire of Gothos. It turns out much more differently. You know, it's not as dark an ending. It's more like, oh, I got to go with mommy and daddy now. Oh, sorry. I got to take my ball and go home. Whereas Charlie X is... It, it really kind of makes you pause and think about what other beings may be unleashed upon the galaxy that are still essentially children, you know, and what don't they know uh, to do or not to do with their powers, which are, are pretty amazing, you know, by far as as far as humans go. So I've, I've always thought that that episode was particularly poignant. I think that one of the things that has always stood out to me with this episode is what power can be like with those who don't understand it or are not um, old enough to be able to deal with that power. And I don't want to dive into a different um, uh, series, but we kind of saw that a little bit with Riker when he was given the Q power. Um, He really didn't know how to handle it, Um, I I don't think, personally. And we kind of saw this with Charlie X. I also kind of... This you guys may shake your head at this, but I kind of relate these aliens a little bit to the alien that we saw in Day of the Dove, that non-corporeal the pinwheel. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> the pinwheel, yeah, that seems to be able to um, manipulate how beings around it act. And I, I've always kind of tied these two together a little bit. I'm not sure if that's if that's accurate or not, but it's just something that's always stuck out to me. As you guys were speaking, I was thinking more from a historical uh, perspective a little bit. So if you if you take um, you know Japan in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, Hirohito was very very young, was easily manipulated, and he actually wound up you know uh, heeding advice and making um, making plans and setting a course that actually doomed his own country. Right, and you can see sometimes where you know and 
current politics aside, because it's just a place I don't want to dive into, but, you know, people who are ill-equipped to make uh, decisions or have incredible power, uh, it, 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 we, we have it in our own history, just how dangerous that can be. And I think, you know, again, what Star Trek does so well is, is provide metaphors and allegories where you're looking back in history and you can say, hey, I can see exactly where that's happened before. Maybe it's not the magic, quote unquote, that, that's being yielded or wielded across, but it's actually the actions that they're taking or their lack of ability to understand the power that they control and what can happen if it is not constrained. It's scary sometimes to think about that. Um, it's great how Star Trek reflects all of that. All right, so I'm going to bring up the episode because we might as well get it out now. The one where we get an actual god. We get a Greek god who mourns for Adonai. Uh, yeah, we have Apollo. Um, I mean, really? <laughs> oh, it's one of my favorites. Love this episode. It's really a good episode. I mean, it's interesting to take this concept of the Greek gods and then they left Earth and Apollo's been on this planet by himself and he's lonely. And so what do you guys think about Apollo and and how he appears and how he's portrayed in this episode, what he does? I mean, it kind of makes sense. I want you guys to to worship me because that's what humans did centuries ago and he doesn't realize that centuries have passed, which is really interesting. You think if he was a god, he would know that centuries have passed. But hey, what do you guys think? Well, I think it's because gods have God stuff to do, right? I mean, maybe he just doesn't look at the clock. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> Apollo was a great illustration of, you know, um, uh, of religion in general in this episode. And I think one of the great things about Whom Warns for Adonai is, is just the total subversiveness of this episode. To draw the correlation that the Greek and by extrapolation Roman gods were aliens that came to this earth also forces the viewer to say, hey, what other godlike beings that people worship on this rock are also aliens? A kind of, you know, making a de facto statement against Christianity on some level. And, I mean, subversiveness and talking about religion is something that Star Trek has done well, whether it's in the original series or the animated series with the magics of Magic, Magic, Magix 2, which I shouldn't try to say before having, you know, too much coffee. Um, you know, Apollo himself is is a great symbol for what all of those gods represent, which is, you know, you will bring fealty unto me, you will worship me, you know, and, and the Enterprise crew going, uh, yeah, wait on that a second. I don't think that's going to work for us. Um, I, I think it's it's a wonderful play against, you know, where culture is in the 1960s vis-a-vis religion uh, compared to what it was just 20 years earlier. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really awesome that we're having this discussion after the latest episode of Discovery where uh, they, they update Clark's third law uh, to say it, the traditional one is, of course, any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. But then they, they have the, the updated version that Pike tells us is any extraterrestrial technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from God. And I think that's what we're doing here. I think that 100% applies to Apollo it, yeah, you're, you're, you're totally right about, about how it's just challenging, like, old thinking, old ways. And it's one of those episodes that's interesting. There, there's a lot of layers to it, but it's not really considered one of the greats for whatever reason. Uh, it just kind of gets – maybe it's the presentation. People find it a little too cheesy to take. But, hey, that's how – to me, that's how Apollo dresses, so I don't I don't mind. You know I mean? Like, you, know, you guys know what well, I'm saying? <laughs> I think it's that, and I think it's also 50-foot Apollo in the same way that a lot of people don't want to take 50-foot Spock seriously in the animated series. <laughs> that's a good point. You know, uh, it, it's, uh, once you boil down Apollo to what he is, 
Um, I, I think there's no way you can't take him seriously because it's really a not really an indictment, but it's really illustrative of uh, of what he's supposed to represent. And I do have to state for the record that I have never used the phrase vis-a-vis on Trek Geeks. So I'm really <laughs> trying to elevate my game here for for Trek FM and Standard Orbit. I just want to throw that out there. Playing to the level of your opponent. I appreciate that, Bill. That, that's right. I dress for the job you want. Exactly. There right? it is. Bill, you can't fake intelligence, so just stop. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, what I love about this episode, it's one of my favorite TOS episodes. Michael Forrest is fantastic as Apollo, as Apollo. And Kirk says it best, and it really makes you think about what people thought so many thousands of years ago. He says, Apollo's no god, but he could have been mistaken for one. Say 5,000 years ago, a highly sophisticated group of space travelers landed on Earth around the Mediterranean. That's that's a perfect way to describe why Apollo and all of his quote-unquote family members were considered gods back in ancient Greece. And I think that really makes you stop and think. And I'm not being – I'm not joking when I say this. Who knows if if something like that could really happen? I mean, we don't know what's out there, but this makes you actually stop and think about it. And I think it was brilliantly written in that way. And I love how uh, the whole idea of Apollo being alone and – forcing people to worship him and the arrogance that these beings with special powers um, can actually have. That's one of the things I like so much about this episode too. But the one that, the, the thing that's always stuck with me is it really makes you think about how people can be manipulated to think certain ways if they don't understand what's in front of them, like a being with powers like Apollo. So, so Dan's not saying it's aliens. <laughs> But it's aliens. <laughs> but it's aliens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he just needs the hairdo to go with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Ken, do you have any thoughts on uh, Who Mourns for Adonai? Well, of course I do. I think that uh, uh, one of the things that, that, that I thought was very, you know, again, tragic about all of it is that um, whether, whether God or not, um, the approach to wanting to be loved and I would just substitute the word, you know, love and worship, because to a God with, with powers and so forth, people are in awe and they love what that, uh, that being can do and what it, you know, the powers that it possesses, so to speak, which can translate easily to technology, as, as we were talking about before. But yet deep down inside, really, um, you know, worship and love are the same thing. And so instead of being judged on the powers that, that one possesses, it's not, it's not about the deeds or, or what Apollo could have done. I mean, if they had flipped that, that, that script a little bit, and of course it, it was a great story all in its own, and, and I think it, um, it, it, was, it was a wonderful one. But as you think as it could continue on, that you know, these, these beings, whether it's you know, Q's evolution in Next Generation, right, from kind of toying with them to kind of finding himself and then starting to do good deeds, uh, and at the end, you know, from from judging the uh, the crew of the Enterprise and all of humanity, uh, actually helped save it. Uh, that to me is is the transformation that you can see from you know alien with godlike being powers or whatever you know wanting to be worshipped and admired to actually being loved, which gets you the same thing. You know, it gets you that admiration and that that self satisfaction. So I think you know to me there there's so many things in this that. Um, that, that I really enjoy thinking about and, and what you guys bring out in this, in this discussion, because to me, that's, you know, substitute those two words and you could find a way to get there. And, and it seems like these beings with all this power, they really struggle to, to understand what it takes to be quote unquote worshiped. So I want to posit a question to everybody here. So 
Apollo got his most of his power right uh, from a source on the planet, um, which Chekhov figures out and they destroy. Um, do you still think that he was still a god at the end, even though he mostly got most of his power from the source on on the planet surface itself? Well, I'll, I'll jump in on that one first. It's kind of it's kind of hard to answer that question for me based on the fact of what I've seen from our friends over at Star Trek Continues, and I know that's not canon. It is but in my head. The episode Pilgrim. Of, <laughs> it, thank you. I appreciate that. I consider it, but unfortunately, it's not official. But um, Michael Ford surprises his role as Apollo, and we see what happens after who mourns who mourns for Adnay. And I think what they do in that episode really answers your question, Haley, which I don't want to spoil for people who may not, may not have seen it, but uh, if you want to get the answer, that's what be my answer would be, is to go check it out on Star Trek Continues. I, I have to think that on some level he probably is still a god. I think that the power source on the planet probably served to, to, to maybe amplify him more, especially when a god has nobody to, uh, to worship him. You know, does he sort of, uh, does he lose his mojo, I suppose, is the question that, that we should ask. But uh, I have to think that there was something about him all along, because unless somebody digs up some power sources on Earth, um, he clearly had some sort of godlike abilities when he and his merry band of travelers visited here. So uh, I'm, I'm going to say that maybe the, the power source on the planet was a convenient plot device, but I still have to believe at the end of the day that a godlike being is a godlike being. Yeah, to, to your point there, Bill, I think, it's like Trelane, right? Where it's like we have somebody with some abilities, but they have some technology to augment them. Uh, yeah. Usually just to defeat them, right? Because it's like, how else are you going to defeat them? Uh, although with although with Squire Gothos, it's a nice turn where Kirk's like, oh, we killed his computer. We're good. It's like, no, that was not, that's not it. You know, that was just a little training wheels, if you will, for Godhood. There's a little computer there behind his mirror. So, so yeah, I would still, I would still count the, all these guys as gods with little Gs. Uh, even though they, they have some technology. We, who knows what the, the Metrons have, how much what they do is technology and how much is, you know, uh, the same thing with the Organians, right? Because we don't see their ships or anything, what they got going on. They could be turning some buttons and flipping some levers back behind the scenes too that we don't see, so. Well, I will end this one because uh, this is one of my favorite quotes from this uh, episode. I offer you more than your wildest dreams ever imagined. You'll become the mother of a new race of gods. You'll inspire the universe. All men will revere you almost as a god yourself, and I shall love you time without end, worlds without end. You shall complete me, and I you. Um, Paulo says that. So uh, I thought that was one of my favorite things about that. Did you guys have any others that you guys wanted to mention or bring up? I don't know, but if people are looking for custom wedding vows, I think that's a good one right there. So <laughs> just lift that line out. <laughs> need to add some. You need to add some echo into it. Yeah, in post processing, <laughs> you really should consider adding echo to that because it's just going to sound fabulous. <laughs> and and consequently, also. <laughs> <I'm in. laughs> I I want to talk about the Squire of Gothos for just a second because again. It seems I've I've said this a few times now. Even though it's non-canon, everybody who listens to the Trek Geeks podcast knows that I love reading the Star Trek novels. And Squire of Gothos is an episode that I really don't love. Um, it's kind of eh for me, but I, I will watch it. It's not one that I'll completely skip. Um, but one of my favorite authors, Peter David, wrote a novel called Q Squared. And you find out in this novel that Q is actually part of the Q, uh, excuse me, Trelane is actually part of the Q continuum. 
and it's a very interesting read. There are there are he, he kind of brings together three different realities. They all come crashing together, and in one reality, Jack Crusher is first officer, and and the reality from the uh, yesterday's Enterprise is involved. And it's really interesting to see that something from TOS they were able to turn, or Peter was able to turn into a really successful novel um, and make him part of the Q continuum. And it kind of makes sense. He was a kid back then, so to speak. Um, he's just learning about his powers. And then with everything that we see with TNG and Q, I thought it was a great way to give this character more teeth because, in all honesty, the way that Squire of Gothos ended, he really didn't have a lot of teeth because he was a kid, right? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you, you just amazed us all with your brilliance. <laughs> no, doesn't happen very often, so I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you know, if we learned anything from Indiana Jones, only the penitent man will pass. Um, yeah. You know, I have to agree with you, Dan. I mean, I, I actually have a hard time watching this episode unless I look at it through the lens of Trelane being a member of the queue, because otherwise it just seems kind of bizarre and odd to me. Um, if I believe that, you know, maybe he's an infant in, in his particular or maybe a, a toddler in his particular uh, race of, of godlike beings um, and, and that, you know, there's an over, you know, overseeing, over all knowing kind of godlike god of the gods. Wow. That could be an episode title right there. Th- then uh, I have a hard time just getting through Squire Regathos because I find it just there are times where it's painful. Maybe it's because I've seen it one too many times. Maybe it's because I think Trelane is just a little over the top. Uh, and I know that I'm just making some Trekkies heads explode right now. And I apologize for that. Are you challenging that. me to a duel? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but you saw. <laughs> oh, my God. However, yeah, visually, it's a fantastic episode. Some of the shots and that and the lighting and, and, and all of that is just beautiful. But I just I, I have a whole I, just, I, gotta, I have a hard time getting past Trelane. Unless I look at him as a member of the Q, in which case he and Q are really not that far apart from each other. Yeah, I don't think I've ever watched this episode not thinking he's a Q. Like, is there any Star Trek fan out there who doesn't think Trillane is a member of the Q continuum? Please let us know in the comments. Well, I, I think they do now, but prior to 1987, I mean, all we had to go on was the fact that Trillane was a godlike being. You know, for those of us who are old, unlike you, Zach. Uh, <laughs> I'm just a toddler, relatively speaking, uh, in this great continuum. We're aware. We're aware. <laughs> Man. <laughs> it makes sense when you think about it that way that, because, I mean, all of his illusions, they're they're not real. They don't have actual substance to them. And I think if you take that with and look at Q, even though sometimes they never exactly explicitly explicitly say that his illusions have no substance you have to wonder if his illusions didn't have substance um even though they appeared extremely real just like with Trelane's, and no one points it out like bones points it out in this episode but it does make that sense now you will behave yourselves hereafter won't you or i shall be very very angry <laughs> no wait are you haley quoting Trelane or haley <laughs> quoting haley i just i have to know that no it's it's haley usually on most of our podcasts offline yeah we usually just edit that out but we'll leave it in yeah no one. we got to leave oh. that in i want that as a i actually want that as a ringtone <laughs> You know, speaking of quotes from this episode, it does have one of my favorite Spock quotes, and it's when he tells Trelane, he's like, I object to you. I object to intellect without discipline. I object to power without constructive purpose. And that is just such a Spock line to say to somebody, you know, who has godlike powers. You know, it's like, I guess Spock never watched Ghostbusters, 
You know, because if someone asks you, you're a god, you say yes. And he's not treating these these quote unquote gods with the respect they they ask for. But but I, I I love how Spock would just stand up to some guy and tell him like, look, I don't like you, and here's why. And it's very logical as well. See, now all I can see is a mashup of Kirk standing on the uh, uh, on the top of the steps <laughs> outside the castle and standing next to Bones, and going, Jim, what are you thinking? And all of a sudden, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man comes walking <laughs> toward them, and he goes, Oh, you didn't? No, no. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Jim, what were you doing? <laughs> it just popped in there. <laughs> Scotty tells you not to cross the streams. I, I, I see it in my head right, right now. I want to see this matchup. So I want to see IDW, Ghostbusters, Star Trek crossover. <laughs> There's so many crazy crossovers they're doing in the comic books right now. Green Lantern, Planet of the Apes. Let's see Ghostbusters. Transformers. Not, not, as, cra- not, as, <laughs> not as crazy as the standard orbit Trek Geeks crossover, I got to say, though. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, first, I mean, I'm pretty sure that whoever came up with this crossover is probably going to get demoted at Trek FM. <laughs> um, so, Haley, it's been great working with you. Um, <laughs> who let these two idiots that make your face jokes on their podcast constantly <laughs> on to, you know, the, the TOS podcast of record. I just, there are a lot of people scratching their heads on this one in the Trek FM audience. It, it wasn't me. I think Zach and Ken were talking about this before. I came oh, look at this. Oh. A true leader passing the bus. Here comes the bus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you oh, see boy. the quest for power right there, don't you? <laughs> oh. Now I'm, Haley, I'm, I'm, I'm squinty eyed looking at you now. I'm going, oh, she didn't hey. even need a tantalus field. Look at that. Yeah. Oh. oh, no, no, no. I mean, that bus was coming around the corner and she kicked us right in the ass. Get out there. <laughs> I will say insults are effective only where emotion is present. Oh, oh. So that was beautiful. You get points Mike, for that one. <laughs> Mike, drop. <laughs> Done. Uh, all right. So uh, I'm going to bring this up because I think this is one of the... Um, Interesting episodes where we have a godlike being and then it creates gods uh, where no man has gone before. I mean, Mitchell, Denner, I mean, come on now. They they become gods, right? And they get crazy drunk on the power from it. So uh, what do you guys think about this? Well, you know, I think it's a great illustration of, of power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I, um, it's, I mean, if you take away the whole ESP part of it, you know, because... Uh, back then, it was believed to be actual science, and these days, eh, not so much. But it, it paints an interesting dilemma and quandary for for James R. Kirk. <laughs> you know, it, it does it does he maroon his best friend on this planet? You know, left to to die theoretically, or to you know, big god of rocks or something, or you know, or does he kill him outright? And uh, I, you know, uh, knowing that he's just becoming stronger and stronger in power. I think that you know, as, as a as a second pilot, I think it's it's really bold and really daring. You know, when you consider the fact that uh, well, Daner has a great line in this. You know, it's like I'm sorry, you can't know what it's like to be almost a god. And it's like, well, can any of us? And you know, when you touch that that bit of of power, that bit of all knowingness, I mean, how do you come back from that? You know, they have a, a singular fate in this episode. You know, they are doomed. You know, to be gods. Because I mean, on some level, that's really got to be a, a a sentence more than a, a you know a, a, a an honor on some level. You know what I mean? Well, and you look at all of these, and and they're alone, right, for the most part. So yeah, I mean, it is a, it is kind of a sentence, as you say, Bill, that you know you're going to have all these powers, and people are going to fear you, and not want to be near you, and you're going to end up being alone, and that's that's scary because we don't want that. 
as humans, we, we crave social interaction. We actually need it to survive. Without it, we, we can die. It's the whole concept of belongingness and love, right? I mean, and that's something that gods don't get. Their love comes from fealty and from worship. And when you're almost a god, you're kind of straddling the line in between those two things. And, and that's why I kind of think of it as like a sentence. Pray to me, Bill. Sorry, I had to throw that in Never. there. <laughs> well, you you, you kind of took my line there, Bill. I was going to actually talk about uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. But one of the things that always stood out to me in this episode was you look at Daner and you look at Mitchell, and they both use this power in vastly different ways. And I think that throws the very human element into the whole idea of what happens in this episode. You've got one guy who is drunk on power, and you've got another one who is trying to control it, is having a hard time, but in the end does the right thing. And I think that this is a great example in Star Trek and that humanity really stands out at, at one point, especially when she decides to help uh, Mr. James R. Kirk, as you mentioned. So that's something I always really liked about this episode. I might add James R. Kirk of the United Earth Space Probe Agency. <laughs> I'm curious, Dan, too, though, when you, when you looked at it through the lens that you just spoke about, did you look at the difference between men and women and how they deal with power? And that, that, that to me, was, was very interesting. Um, there's, there's, you know, this is, this is not a sexist thing. I don't think there's, there's attributes in both men and women that are very similar, but there's, there's, there's obviously more of a nurturing, um, you know, feel towards, um, towards one and the other, I think. And, and to me, you know, um, you, you look at, at kind of the differences in how they portrayed it. And, and to me, that, that was a, an interesting dynamic all on its own. I think that's a great point. I never have. Uh, looked at it through that lens, but of course now I'm gonna thanks. Uh, but no, that's a great that's a great way to put it. You know, of course we see all the differences in how the writing back in the '60s was compared to today, and that's a, that's a very good point, Ken. It's, and it's something that I have never even thought about. Well, and you know, you can take the lines between uh, Mitchell and Kirk with what um, Ken was saying, and he says Mitchell says, "Time to pray, Captain. Pray to me." And Kirk says, "To you, not to both of you." He says, there'll only be one of you in the end, one jealous God, if all this makes a God or is making you something else. Uh, and that kind of, I think, portrays that line of like, hey, you know, Mitchell, he was he was going the extreme. And, and yeah, Daenerys, she was trying to control it. And she was, you know, I mean, women are more nurturing. And I can imagine, yes, I'm not going to say every woman or every man is going to be that way. But in the 60s, writing this, the writers are going to write it that way, right? That, that the woman is going to not take it to the extreme that the man would and demand all of this worship and everything like that. So it's really quite an interesting angle. Zach, do you have anything to say? Yeah, well, this is my favorite episode of the original series, and uh, there's a lot... I knew I had to throw it in. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, so uh, th this is a little different than, I think, the overall theme we're talking about because this is a, this is a human being who's been turned into... A god. So I, I think you know we're I, you know regardless of, of of what other these other gods are with little G's. Uh, I don't I don't think you would you you would never misinterpret this guy as a god, especially if you'd known him before godhood. Uh, so no one should be worshiping him, <laughs> you know, in my opinion. So, uh, <laughs> but I think Dan, you you brought up Charlie X. Is that's not a case of absolute power corrupting absolutely. It's a case of someone having power and not knowing what to do with it, and he's too young for it. And I think. 
because I had often said like, man, original series, like, like I love your first season. It's arguably the best season of Star Trek, but you know, you, you kind of repeat yourself like right out of the gate because you have Charlie X and we're no one's gone before back to back, and it's kind of the same episode. But you know, talking through it here, it's it's kind of not because because uh, the way Mitchell gets and uses his powers is very different than poor Charlie X over here. Uh, so so I think there is there are enough shades to the human gets powers somehow that might be on first glance, and also. You know, as as we mentioned, uh, Q squared before. There is some more. No one has gone before tie-ins to Q squared as well. Mm-hmm. So, be, yes. so, so this is our, our, our officially brought to you by Pocket Books. Peter David's Q squared episode <laughs> of Standard Robot. So, uh, but, but yeah, I, I I love this episode and and really the dilemma it represents and and that's what I'm, because you have your action and but then you have your moral dilemma which makes it uh, Star Trek at its best to me. Ken, I want to go back to your comment real quick. As everybody's been talking, I've been thinking about that more and more. And and although I didn't look at it in the aspect that you brought it up with with how uh, Dr. Daner um, handled her powers, I think maybe what I have done over the years is I've looked at it as she's a doctor. And a doctor's first rule is to help and to heal. And I think maybe I've looked at it with that aspect. It, she was a doctor, so it's her it's her duty to always be ready to assist with helping or healing, whether it's the enemy or not. And maybe I've looked at it that way. I'm really going to have to watch. I, I Seriously, I'm going to have to go back and watch this again with a much broader open mind as to how these characters act and why. And that's what I like about you, Ken. You make people think. <laughs> that's not the one that my wife says ever. So thank you for that. But uh, I, I will say that uh, no, you, you bring up a very valid point too. Uh, I mean, it, you know, she's a psychologist, right? And that that is exactly right. She is she is there to help people. So I think that you know it, it works both ways. It's just uh, it, you know you, you take a show that that's over fifty years old, and what, this is what makes it so fun. Here we are talking fifty two, fifty three years later. And, um, you know, we're, we're going back and forth and, and looking at different dynamics. And you've just given me one I didn't really contemplate. So very good. Very well done, sir. Anybody have any others? Or should I mention the episode that pretty much everybody does not like? Uh, this may be the one I'm going to bring up right now. And I'm going to say, uh, and the children shall lead. Take it away. Um, oh, my, this is an episode I love to hate. It's an episode I love to love to hate. Um, it's, I feel that strongly about it. I mean, everybody talks about the lawyer and the shower curtain um, because there is that that obvious horrible visual. But it, if you peel back these layers of, of third season production, there's really kind of a lot here. You know, you have this godlike being that appeals to children and exacts his power through them by co-opting them to essentially execute his will upon the galaxy. You know, they essentially uh, decimate an entire Federation colony of scientists, and then they get unleashed aboard a Federation starship. And who knows what happens if if Kirk and company are not successful in changing those kids' perception or making them feel, because it appears that his power is to sort of take away that ability to feel on some level or to insulate them from that. Um, So when I think about that, I, I think it's probably one of the the most intricate godlike being episodes of Star Trek of all time, but only because it's not as in your face as some of the other ones. That's those are my thoughts. You you mentioned these kids don't feel he's taken their empathy away. And and that's scary. I mean, you don't have empathy. You you don't feel for anybody. 
uh, else, but and not even really yourself. And and he's done some really crazy things. I mean, kids are scary. <laughs> I have a kid, but she's great. But like, <laughs> you know, you get kids together and you get this influence and this group thing going on, and. And that's really can be quite terrifying. I mean, they're just these little kids and they're taking over the ship, you know. They're, their parents are dead and they don't care. I mean, Gorgon really, really did a lot of damage to these kids. Um, and and it is a little terrifying that he's got this influence to make basically kids sort of destroy their parents and then not care. And, and it's really sad. I mean, you feel for these kids. Um, and, you know, the Dan was doing the little hand thing. I mean, yes, it's a little silly. But if you look at it in the context of these kids, they have no really no control. And, and they have no feeling. They have no empathy for others. It can be quite a terrifying episode, I think, um, if, you, if you really take a deep look at it. Rather than just being silly. Especially since the adults really are powerless in this episode, you know, and thus the, you know, the, the title uh, to some extent. Um, I, if you look at just how, you know, um, influential and impressionable the Gorgon is on the children, it's it's scary. You know, I mean, here's this alien should ha- has it should have no power whatsoever, but it's we have. Well, I suppose we have to believe he's got some kind of personality that attracts kids because he certainly doesn't have it on screen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's it, it speaks to, you know, the, the the most innocent of all of us. You know, if they can be co-opted like that, then whom of us can't to some extent? I think there's a larger theme there. Yeah. I mean, uh, who do you get to first? You get to the children. Right, because they're the future, yeah. and you, you get them, you get yep. you get everyone. Right. Uh, although I must say, we went from my favorite episode of the original series to what I rank as the worst episode of the original series here. I can't, and I'm Mister mm. Like, you got to look past production value. Start, and but but for here, I I don't know. I draw the line for some reason about this episode. It's just it, I cannot get past how poorly executed this episode is. Because you're right, you guys are right. It has some great themes. I mean, yeah, yeah, it should be super creepy. You have a whole dead colony. You have yeah. kids taking over the ship. You have an evil entity influencing children who think he's you know angel, you know angel of light. You know, appearing as, but he's really an angel of darkness, right? So it's some some deep things there, but it's just I can't get past the I literally just cannot get past the season three production value. I'm sorry. So. <laughs> you know, I'm 49 years old, and I can say honestly, I have not seen this episode in at least 30 years. I just, it's just, it, I, I won't, I, I won't watch it. I'm gonna have to watch it because I think we're gonna do something on Trek Geeks about it. But we are it's now. Just one, they, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just one that I, I just, I just don't, I just don't care for. Now, looking over the notes that we have for for the episode that we're recording right now, um, I do remember that the um, that the Gorgon was released from this cave by the Starns ex exploration party uh it says here and that makes me think to deep space nine a little bit and the fire caves and the pa race and my question here is is the gorgon actually a godlike being something was strong enough to trap him in that cave and he got out so what trapped him and should we be worried about them that's really all i have about in, in the children's league because i haven't seen it in so long Oh, that's interesting. See, now I just drew a connection between this and Star Trek V, right? Because we have, quote-unquote, God trapped in mm-hmm. the center of the galaxy. And what trapped him? So we go from the worst TOS episode to the worst TOS movie. <laughs> but what does God need with a starship? Zach. Very good. <laughs> I said. 
but the production volumes were very similar. Yeah, yeah very much so. <laughs> there, there is, well, you know, as as you believe, so shall you do. So shall you do. <laughs> so shall you do. He wanted to conquer the universe, people. The universe. Set high goals. Don't settle. That's what I said. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and I mean, can you imagine, like, if he had been able to influence and get a hold of the Enterprise and then go to another planet, get even more kids, you know? I mean, really, I know it's silly, but at the same time, like, that can be a little terrifying because, you know, he's got control and he's exerting control over all these kids and then kids are marauding through the universe and basically taking over. I mean, there's no adults left. He's got all this control over these kids who are going to grow up to be adults. It's a little a little terrifying. In its simplicity, though, there lies its brilliance. Uh, if you think about, you know, how, how, many, how many books, how many movies have we written, have we seen where, you know, kids get ticked off. Um, they say they hate their parents. They run away. They do all these things. Um, they are not emotionally able to to think through things, and and they run, you know, firmly on emotion. They they, you know, it's kind of like Vija, right? It, it it knows only that it wants, and that's essentially what a kid is like. You know, you you just you just want more, and so to be manipulated like this, uh, to have these powers, to have these abilities, to be shielded from the ability to to really be empathetic, which you know, in time, usually the kids come full circle and they realize, boy, was I a fool or you know, my dad or my mom was just being tough on me because they love me. It, it all comes. This this being, or he was, in 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 the sense, you know, keeping them from having that that that, that total turnaround in understanding what they're doing. And so that that's one element of this that I thought was very very clever. Uh, you know, you you take the folks that are the most vulnerable that actually think in those terms sometimes, right? You hear kids will say things. You know, I hate you. And, you know, and, and at that time, they mean it, you know, and, and then in time, they realize, oh, my goodness, this was, you know, boy, was I wrong. But sometimes there's some serious lesson that has to be learned in between. And, and that's, that's one of the elements of this that I think is very, very scary and very powerful. Bill, I have a challenge for you that I'd like to announce here on Standard Orbit. Uh, this coming summer at STLV, I'll be doing my first cosplay for Star Trek, and I'm very excited about that. I want you to cosplay the Gorgon. You heard it here first. Uh, I'm going to tell you no on Standard Orbit. <laughs> and I'll tell you no on Trek Geeks and anywhere else that this question comes up. Uh, I have no desire to walk around Las Vegas in a black shower curtain. It's a pretty so. cheap costume, though, Bill. I mean, yeah. can't lie. <laughs> Not when you and, need and it you've my got, size. And you've got the face for the end of the episode when he starts degrading. And see, here I am trying to elevate the level of discussion that Trek Geeks has here on, on Standard Orbit, you know, and you're just bringing it right down Sorry. to where we normally keep it. So you're consistent. I admire that. Yeah, uh, you know, I guess I guess he's kind of like it, right? The Gorgon, right? Because he needs the kids and the, the fear Gorgon and or all Dan? that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering where you were going. Yeah, guys. me too. Me too. He's only he's only talking like this because we have Patriot stuff on. So, um, yeah. Uh, the Red Sox, the Red Sox stuff would be more impactful. That's for, true. For That's true. Kind of, you That's know, it's Boston and Houston. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's been a, it's been a tough sports uh, decade for us fighting each other, but it's all good. Uh, maybe for you. 
It is. It is all good. You know, it's been it's been three months since our last world championship. We've suffered long enough. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there are babies in the maternity ward who have not witnessed Boston win a championship. All right. Sports ball so. brought to you by Trek Geeks. Exactly right. So, uh, but bringing it back, you know, I really like what you cut up, brought up about the power rates, Dan. We can pick that up. Uh, sure. In, in in the Trek Geek side of this Ooh. conversation, because uh, uh, the cool have, trapping something somewhere like does that mm. truly make it a god? I don't know. You no. know, like what levels of godhood are there really you know i i because uh, yeah it's just interesting to think about because you know if you look at it from like a person of faith you can say like oh wow captain kirk and the enterprise are going around defeating and confronting these false gods you know or if you look at it from the atheist agnostic standpoint it's like yeah you have to have doing this 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 marching like <laughs> on the video you, you guys won't see it i'm still doing it though um it's great podcasting like, yeah, i know right as as you can see guys just take a look at this Brilliant radio, but uh, <laughs> then you know from the agnostic or atheist side point, you're like, yeah, well, there's no gods, and you just, they're like going around like, like yes, no gods here, no gods. science is king, you know that kind of stuff. I just find it best when Star Trek kind of takes both. And although uh, you know we have that one line from Kirk, which I kind of joked about at the beginning of the episode, like humanity has no need for gods. We find the one quite adequate, right? But that's that's like progressive Roddenberry thinking, and then also like executive 1960s like undercutting yes. to balance it out to not offend anyone. So it's this this wonderful paradox of like, what are you guys really saying with this? But yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting to, to, to look at it from either way. And then when Star Trek really just start embracing the, okay, you know, maybe science is not the end all be all. Maybe it's something beyond science, which is something DS9 really picks up on and Discovery is really picking up on this season. Uh, so so th- th- those are what generate these kinds of conversations like we're having now. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting to compare these. Um, so before we round up, does anybody have any final thoughts on kind of what you guys think about religion, um, these godlike beings that we see in TOS? Ken, I'll go with I you. Think... Uh, well, you know, again, Star Trek is so awesome because they had you know this this incredible ability to jump beyond what anybody else was doing at the time that they aired. Uh, whether it be, you know, talking about religious context or war or political, it didn't matter. And, you know, to me, what they did with a lot of these episodes was they made you think. And, you know, I, I love to be entertained at times. There are things I like to watch where you, where you don't have to think much. You can just kind of flow with it. And, it, you know, it, it just has, has a nice storyline. But Star Trek always has the ability, most of the time, and executed well of being able to do both. So for me, I think that for for a podcast uh, to to come together like we're doing and talk about this type of subject across two series, it's amazing. You know, I mean, you could do that today with a lot of shows, but could you do that 50 years ago? Uh, to me, it just um, it, it just always reinforces my love for Star Trek and what it, what it's really done for me and what I think it's done for for the entertainment industry. I'm sorry to talk such a high level, but that's. Uh, that's what really just kind of hit me hard through this discussion. No, thank you, Bill. Oh, no, I, I apologize for almost having interrupted the chief. Um, I should never do that because, you know, um, he's awesome. Uh, it's uh, it's senior chief. And, oh, and I'm no, sorry. Okay. I'm sorry, yeah, senior no, chief. No, now you will sorry. pay. Uh, lightning is coming down to New Hampshire. <laughs> oh, my God. He's going to smite me. Oh, my God. Yeah. See what I did there? See what yeah. I did there? <laughs> um, I, I think that there is something so wonderfully subversive about all of the godlike beings in Star Trek when you consider Gene Roddenberry himself and, and his own personal views and beliefs on religion. 
you know, uh, I think it's sci-fi has, has always had this you know typical conceit to be able to approach some of these things and make them, you know, uh, more interesting for the masses or perhaps to take on subjects that uh, may not have been discussed as freely, especially in an era like the 1960s and create a universe where people can relate to them. And I, and I think that there's something really intricate and beautiful about that you know, throughout TOS. And we may see some of these episodes as campy, but when you look at them on a more critical level or peel back some of the layers, there's really a lot going on here. And I think it's part of the reason, you know, going back to some of what Ken said of, of why these episodes stand the test of time, you know, why we keep going back to them after 50 plus years, because there is so much here. It's not just good Star Trek. It's really great science fiction and science fiction is supposed to make us ask these questions. One of the things that I love so much about TOS is is the episodes make you think. Whether it's something as, as good as Where No Man Has Gone Before or as terrible as And the Children Shall Lead, it's still going to make you think. Um, the thing that, I don't concerns is the wrong word, but we look at these stories of these godlike beings and for or, or any episode of Star Trek, and a lot of time these aliens are quote-unquote godlike, they're vastly superior to humans, even though in the 23rd century we have space travel and warp drive and all of this technology. And it makes me a little scary as to what could be out there, if there's really things out there. But at the same time, it makes me think that the mindset of the people writing the shows back in the 60s, what it was like, and it makes me think of, of things like War of the Worlds. Aliens are super superior. Super superior? Okay, that's a double standard. Um, but it really makes me think of the mindset when they were writing these shows in science fiction, not just for Star Trek, but other things as well, that um, the the unknown out in the universe people are scared of. And it's kind of warped its way into showing it like that in shows like Star Trek. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it in a very positive way. Zach, what are your final thoughts? You know, I, th- I think it was David Gerald who said Gene Roddenberry was obsessed with like the Enterprise meeting God, and when it when they finally did, it was either a child or a computer. <laughs> and I think there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, there was a whole lot, there's a whole list of super computer-like gods we could have talked about, but that's its own kind of category. You have the Apple, you have uh, Return of the Archons, things of that nature. And you know, I, you know, maybe that is the future, the, the deus ex machina, the god in the machine, right? But I, I, you know, confronting things more powerful than yourself and defeating them, it's like kind of like a you get a merit badge you know, on, for for for, uh, for defeating these these things. Then it gives you some confidence going out there. And sometimes they leave in peace and they say, "Hey, we're going to see you in a thousand years." And other times we we phase them to death and they disappear. We chant them away. And uh, uh, you know, as 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 one of the you know tropes of the original series of like meeting these godlike beings, you know, I they they continue continually found creative ways to go about encountering them and defeating them. And, you know, as we like pointing out on, on standard orbit, like, yeah, there, there are a lot of tropes for TOS and this and that, but if you look a little deep, you pat, you put past, you go past the first level, you know, of what you might see there, there are lots of, there's variety, there's thoughtfulness, there's a lot of forward thinking, a lot of great storytelling. And as you guys have been saying, just to reiterate, cause you said it better than I can here, like we're still talking about it 50 plus years later. So there's, there has to be something to be said for that. In doing research for this and and gathering information and everything, it was really interesting to discover how much this concept was used um, in a sci-fi show. And I think that's something that, you know, we see in a lot of other sci-fi shows. And it's probably just because, I mean, that's who we are. We want to find and see if there is something out there that's greater than ourselves. And and so it shows up in, in these 
science fiction shows because hey we're out there we're exploring space that we don't know and and what will we encounter out there will we encounter these these godlike beings that are greater than ourselves as advanced as we are and it's it's been a really great topic to discuss uh, today, and I'm interested to discover what we are going to discuss about um, next because it's, I think DS9 takes it to a whole other level. I mean, it permeates the entire series. It's not just one episode. I think it's always there in Deep Space Nine and in just about every episode. So it's going to be fun to discuss about that. Without a doubt, you know, we figured Deep Space Nine didn't just deal with godlike beings. They decided to get a little more in our face and just, you know, create a race of people that actually had a religious belief and then make them a central focus of the series. So it really kind of takes what Star Trek does and upends it. And I think we'll uh, we'll definitely examine that aspect of it uh, on Ye Old Trek Geeks podcast. Well, speaking of, Bill and Dan, thank you so much for being our guests on Standard Orbit this week. Where can people find you out there on the interwebs? Well, um, obviously, you can find Trek Geeks just about everywhere as Trek Geeks, whether it's uh, the Twitters, the, the Yield Book of Faces, or Instagram, or whatever. I can personally be found at Trek Geek Bill on Twitter. And uh, similar to Bill, you can find me on Twitter at Trek Geek Dan. Uh, and as Bill mentioned, we're everywhere uh, as Trek Geeks, just about all, all the places you can find on that there internet. All right. Well, stay tuned tomorrow. For Trek Geeks, where we have part two of our discussion talking about Deep Space Nine and godlike beings. But godlike beings and religion on the original series are the only things we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, The Ready Room. I just wonder, like, I, I think this is sort of a delicate focus area mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. a series, a Section mm-hmm. 31. I think it will be very easy to to make an interesting TV show that strays too far away from what Star Trek is at its core unless it's handled carefully and so I'm going to be interested to see what they do with it and I'm kind of wait and see. That can be a dynamic tension. You could have two different characters Mm -hmm. or two different factions that represent that spectrum. Earl Grey. But yeah, it is kind of a very Kirk thing like I'm going to you know, save the day this way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's a great moment because the twist, you just don't see it at all. And here Riker comes and is like, nope, I'm not. And then bam, bing, bing, and poo, poo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the first time I saw it, I was like, oh no, if Riker's infected, how are they going to get up? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just right to the very end. It was great timing mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. The orb. The way that you live your life is a routine and a pattern and almost an addiction because it becomes just what you do. And to break out of that takes immense work. And and therefore, you you usually, when you're going to make a change like that, you need some sort of safety net. And Brow hasn't been in a place where he feels that long enough, even though Kira is kind of offering that to him. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Pike's answer was a little, well, I owe you a simile. Like, oh, come on, dude. Uh, but but when he talks to Connolly, he's like, do you see how many syllables died? Like, that <laughs> was <know>. great. <laughs> that was so funny. Oh, my gosh. That was so amazing. I'm being a bit contradictory right here because I like Pike for the reasons I don't like Tilly, right? but 
And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trek.fm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trek.fm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. Yes, and use the hashtag TrekTuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.